Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to be together with you. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here with the church, but every once in a while I get to share like this. This morning, uh, Matthew, Brian, uh, and Matt are all out of town, all three of our pastors. So, you know, while the pastors are away, the church staff will play. Um, I'm, I'm really excited, though, to, to be sharing with you this morning. Um, fun fact about me, if I've never met you before, I was a, I was a business major at, at BGSU, um, graduated in, in 2013. Um, and I don't know what this says about me, but when I kind of look back at my, my business degree, my, my favorite sort of memories of the program were, were when my teachers would let us watch the show The Shark Tank uh, during class. Like, that's a real thing. I'm not trying to recruit you if you're a student to the business degree, but you actually, you know, at times you get to watch the show, The Shark Tank, during class. And, and yeah, I got a picture there if you don't know the show. Um, basically, this show, it's all about um, just sort of entrepreneurs who come in and they pitch different business ideas to these like really successful investors with hopes of kind of making a deal. Um, and so, love watching the show. Um, well, just this last year, I get a text from my brother-in-law. And he's like, hey, man, just want to let you know, Mr. Wonderful, uh, he's going to be in town, Kevin O'Leary. He's the guy in the middle right there, the sort of intimidating looking one. Um, he's like, hey, I want to let you know he's going to be in town. He's going to be in Columbus. And he's doing a seminar on his like, keys to success. And I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Totally. I'm in. Let's go. Um, so we go down to Columbus. We get there. And we're watching this seminar. And at first, it's going great. We're taking notes. We're writing down his keys to success. But then about halfway through, I realized, wait a minute, he's not giving away his keys to success. Like, he's trying to sell me something. He's like, he, I swear he's going to try to sell me his keys to success at the end, and I'm waiting for it to happen. And then sure enough, at the end, he does this huge, long sales pitch, and it's like, it's a really good sales pitch. And so all of a sudden, just like people by the droves, like hundreds of people rush the stage, all to buy like this, here's how you can be a success like me, sort of like Mr. Wonderful package, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it happen and just person after person goes up to the stage to, to buy this thing. And I'm starting to like look at my brother-in-law and both of us are like, man, are, are we missing out? Like, like, do we need to go and, and buy this, this thing? And I don't know if we're hypnotized or what, but we, we get up and we go up on stage, right? And when we sign up for this, like, here's how you can be like Mr. Wonderful, uh, whatever. Um, anyway, so we leave and we're driving back and obviously the buyer's remorse starts to set in. We're like, what do we do? And praise the Lord, we called and we were able to get our money back. It was like 300 bucks. Um, but I share that story with you this morning um, because I just wanna say it is so easy to get caught up in chasing after these different images of success. It's so easy, right? You hear stories like that and you think, oh, that'll never be me, right? I'll never uh, do, do things like that. But, but we end up doing it, right? Lots of different ways. Think about like Instagram. You'll be on Instagram, right? And you'll see somebody with like, you know, they're more attractive than you or whatever. And you're like, how are they working out? Like, I got to have a, like a body like that. What's their workout plan, right? Or, or maybe you're listening to, to music and it's like, you know, it just sounds like the people singing the song are having like a lot of fun. And you're like, man, I need to just like live my life more like them. Or, or the other day I was actually at a friend's house and he had the show Fixer Upper on, which is a great show, if you know, and I'm watching it. And there's just these beautiful houses and they've all got shiplap on the walls. And I'm like, man, I got to get me some shiplap in life. You know what I mean? Like, what do I got to do to get me some shiplap? And, and it's just so easy, right? We see all these beautiful things and we get caught up chasing after these like different images of success. 
And so today, I just want to ask us all a simple question, that, that whatever the thing is that you're chasing, whatever looks good to you, I just want to ask you, is it worth it? Whatever it is, whatever we're, we're sort of aspiring to when we think about it, is that thing worth it to you? And I think sometimes the answer is yes, for sure. But oftentimes, the answer is, is no. It's not worth it. And it's kind of difficult to navigate in life which things are sort of worth it and, and which things aren't. And so today we're going we're gonna to talk about that idea as we continue our series looking at the Psalms. And I think the Psalms are going to be perfect for this topic because just like the culture and, and you know, media and all this stuff feeds us all these ideas, uh, so does God through the Psalms, right? That in a sense, the Psalms are kind of like God's sort of like playlist, and our hope is that as we kind of crank up the volume on, on God's playlist, that, that you know, we can sort of drown out all of these other images of success and really just like tune our hearts to God's, just like we were just singing a second ago. So um, we're going to do that. I, I think it's going to be good. Um, if you want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 127. So you can take out your Bible, turn it on, um, whatever you have to do. Um, Psalm 127, um, while you're turning there, some background. This psalm is written by a guy named Solomon. And you know, last week we talked about King David. Uh, this is David's son. And he's also a king. He's a huge success. He has tremendous wealth. Um, you know, he's, he's musically gifted. He's got it all. But the thing he's most known for is, is for being the wisest man that ever lived. Like that was his title, the, the wisest man that ever lived. Like how would you like to aspire to something like that? Um, so he writes the book of Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. He, just, he writes all this wisdom literature and people come from all around because they aspire to be like just like this guy. The only problem is for Solomon, he, he just has a hard time taking his own advice and he does the same thing that we do. He ends up following uh, other ideas of success. And so he ends up worshiping these other gods that, that, are, that are from these other cultures and the surrounding nations. Um, he ends up acquiring more property in his life than he even knows what to do with. And then, and then get this, he gets married to 700 different women. 700 different women, right? Sometimes I'm like, the one that I have is, is like hard to manage. He has 700 <laughs> different wives. I love every, every second of it, let me be honest about that. But he's got 700 wives, that's not enough for him. And so then he goes and he gets 300 concubines, that's girlfriends, on top of that. So he's got 1,000 different women in his life. It's just this total train wreck. And he gets, he gets to the end of his life, and he's kind of looking back at everything. And, and I imagine that he's asking our question, like, what, was all this worth it? All the success, all the, all the stuff that I've gathered, was it worth it? Uh, and as he's reflected on that, he writes this psalm, Psalm 127. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So I'm going to break this down for us. You may have noticed there are two sort of contrasting sections to this song, right? The first half, he's talking about a whole bunch of things that are vain. And in the second half, he moves to talking about things that are valuable. So vain and valuable. He's talking about things that are worth it and, and not worth it. And that, that word vain, just to be clear, he uses that in all of his different uh, literature. It literally means um, like vapor 
like smoke. It's this idea that if you, if you try to grab a hold of these things, that it looks like there's something there, but there's not, right? It's not worth it. So, so two sections, one, one, one section is all about things that are worth it, and one section is about things that aren't. So you might have noticed that. And then the second thing I want to point out uh, is at the very top of the, the psalm, it says it's a song of ascents. Um, and I think it's important, there's 15 of these in the Bible, and what these are uh, is they're songs that ancient Israel would sing as they're ascending up to Jerusalem to go to these like regular feasts. So, so I, I think it was about three times a year, uh, people would leave their jobs, leave everything, and they would ascend up towards Jerusalem, and they would sing these songs. And I think that's significant because it's like Solomon as king, he writes this, and he says, hey, listen, I know you're going to forget, forget this, and so I want you regularly to, to remember this, to sing this song, put it on shuffle, right? Because there are certain things in life, and he knows from experience, there are certain things in life that are worth it, and then there's some things in life that aren't. And so let's break it down a little bit. We're going to talk about things that are worth it and things that aren't. Point number one, if you're following along in your handout, is empty achievements aren't worth it. That's what Solomon's saying. Empty achievements aren't worth it. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so there's these two jobs here, house building and, and, and being a watchman, right? And these are two of Solomon's greatest successes. History tells us that Solomon actually built mul multiple homes for himself and for all of his wives. So he's got homes scattered all over ancient Israel. On top of that, he built the temple for God in Jerusalem. And, and fun fact, the temple that he built for God was just slightly smaller than his palace. So if that tells you anything about his values, his, his house was just a little bit bigger than God's house. Um, he, on top of that, he built multiple like full cities, Multiple cities. This guy's a builder. And you can still go and visit the ruins of some of these cities. They exist, and they, they had these massive, massive gates and these areas that, um, you know, watchmen could protect them. So this guy's just a massive success. He's a builder, and he's a protector. But he's looking back on all the stuff that he's done, and he says, without God, it's nothing. That on the one hand, he'd achieved everything, but at the same time, he's saying, without God, man, this is nothing. And I think if we're, if we're being honest uh, with ourselves, we can sort of like hear that song echoing through our culture today, right? You think about Hollywood, you think about the people who've been most successful, right? We hear stories about people who seem like they have everything, but at the same time, they have nothing. And you can probably think of some people on your own. I, I thought of Mick Jagger, the, uh, the lead singer of the Rolling Stones. Um, huge success, rock star, obviously, um, but he's known for his song, uh, uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It's all about how he's empty, right? And he tries, and he tries, and he tries. I can't get no satisfaction. Uh, yeah, I, I threw this up there because I actually was like, you know what? He's probably satisfied now. You know what I mean? I looked up, he's worth, uh, I think it was $360 million this guy's worth. And then I saw that, and I'm like, you know, this guy, he says he'd rather be dead uh, at 45, or he'd rather be dead than sing Satisfaction at 45. Now he's 75 and still playing it. And I'm just like, man, this, this poor guy. You know what I mean? Like I, as a worship leader, I can't stand repeating songs over and over and over again. And this guy's just trapped in that world. From the outside looking in, it just, it looks like he's got it all, right? But, but he doesn't. And, and there's examples like this all over our culture, just the message of Solomon echoing and echoing and echoing without God all this stuff, it's not worth it. <clears throat> and here we are, 
week after week, tempted to think, man, if I could just do that thing, if I could just be a rock star, right? If I could just be a professional athlete, interior designer, whatever it is. I was meeting up with some guys the other week, and they said um, that I guess the job that everybody wants now is to be a professional video gamer, a gamer. Um, so that's like a, a real job. You play video games and you get money for it. To me, that sounds like not that fun. But anyway, that, that's what everybody aspires to. Um, and Solomon, I, I think, looks at that and he says, hey, that's great. You know, you can be a, a professional gamer. Even still, without God, even that profession, it, it's going to be empty. Listen, what if instead of chasing after the next thing, instead of chasing after the next achievement, we just invited God into what we're doing now? Because the good news is that just like, you know, without God, our labor is in vain, the reverse is also true, that with God, whatever you're doing is not in vain. It can be the worst job. You can be a job that you hate. If you invite God into that job, it can have incredible meaning. I was looking this up. There's a, a guy named Brother Lawrence. Uh, he's a monk from the 1600s. I've talked about him before. Um, he worked in, in a kitchen. Uh, and so the majority of his time, he, he talks about just like this backbreaking work of like, you know, chopping potatoes and doing all the work that it, it takes to prepare food. Um, and so he's talking about that, and I, and I found this written about him. It says, in his business in the kitchen, to which he had naturally a great aversion, he didn't like it, it says, having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God and with prayer upon all occasions, for his grace to do his work well. Check this out. It says, he found everything easy during his 15 years that he was employed there. Here's a guy who, who's working a job that he doesn't like, and, and yet he finds a way to invite God into it, and he says, everything's easy. And I'm not saying like, hey, let's all, let's all be monks and everything will be easy. I, I don't think like that's the case, but I do wonder how much our professional lives would change if we just acknowledged that God is there in it with us, right? When you check into work, do you sort of check out in your faith or do you invite God into it? I think if we don't, then the, whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, it's gonna be empty. So point number one, empty achievements aren't worth it. Let's keep moving though. Point number two is restless striving isn't worth it. Restless striving, it's not worth it. Verse 2 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I love that. And then I want to be clear, um, he's not talking about being lazy here. So if you get up early, don't feel bad. If you stay up late, don't feel bad. He's not saying just, you know, sleep all day and then it'll, it'll be great. We know that because Solomon himself in Proverbs wrote, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So if anybody believes in, in hard work, it's, it's Solomon. But I, I do think he's saying something here, and it's that there's a difference between hard work and overwork, right? That, that we, can, we can work hard, and that's a good thing, and, and, and hard work actually knows, you know, when the day is over, and it can actually rest. But overwork is, is different. Overwork can't turn off. It won't let itself rest. Overwork just keeps going and going and going because it's anxious and because it's worried. And unfortunately, I think this is where many of us spend most of our lives. And I was, I was looking it up, and um, I found some, some sort of shocking stats on worry and, and anxiety. Uh, I found this one. It says 6.8 million U.S. adults have generalized anxiety disorder. 
This is the kind of anxiety that, that just can't let go. It can't turn off. My wife is a, is a mental health counselor for her job, and she describes this as like a meteor shower of what ifs, right? Just like, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And I can't rest because, you know what I mean? What if this happens? 6.8 million people are, are wrestling with this. Another study that I found said that 85% of the stuff we worry about will never happen. 85%, and I saw that, and I was like, how can you really prove that? You know what I mean? So I, I, like, I looked into it, um, and here's the study. It says, in this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. Lo and behold, it turns out that 85% of what subjects worried about never happened. And with the 15% that did happen, 79% of the subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. This means, get this, that 97% of what you worry over is not much more than a fearful mind punishing you with exaggerations and, and misperceptions. <laughs> we spend... Like, I, I know that's like almost like harsh, but I, I think it's true that we, we spend so much time just worrying about things that are, are probably never going to happen. Solomon says it, it's like a vapor. It looks real, but, but it's not. And his song is just reverberating through these stats. It echoes through history, right? We, we hear Jesus sort of echo the same idea. He says, who among you uh, can add a single hour to his life by worrying? And we hear that, but, but we still struggle, don't we? Like, it's hard to turn off. If I'm being honest, I, I totally struggle with, with worry and anxiety. When I'm preparing these sermons, it's like the meteor shower. You know, what if this happens? And what if I, you know what I mean? What, what if I forget this? And I, I struggle with this. And I think it's because, um, for me at least, worry sort of disguises itself as responsibility, Right? Worry sort of puts on a mask and says, no, you're, you're just being responsible and you don't want to be irresponsible and rest, right? Sometimes people will call me and I'll be like resting. It'll be a day off or something. They're like, hey, what are you up to? And I'll feel this like, this like temptation to just not say I'm resting. I'm like, well, you know, I just got done working and uh, now I'm just hanging out. You know, you know what I mean? I don't know why I do that, but it's like, I feel like it's irresponsible to rest. And if, if you have that inside you, I want you to hear this. To some people... Jesus may have seemed irresponsible. And we all know that Jesus was not irresponsible. But to some people, he may have seemed irresponsible because Jesus rested a whole lot. And at weird times, check this out, Mark 4. Jesus is out on a boat. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Right? It's this scene of just like utter chaos. All this stuff is happening. The boat is like basically sinking. And then I love the way that the ESV puts it, that he's asleep on the singular cushion, right? That there's, you know, all these people there, there's one cushion. Jesus is asleep on it. Um, listen, I think there's something for us to see there. And it's that no matter how crazy your life is, it's okay to rest, it's okay. Jesus rested at really weird times. He took naps. It's okay. We can, we can rest. It doesn't mean be irresponsible, but we can rest. And right now, if as I say that, like the meteor shower is happening in your mind and you're like, mm, but 
you know, but what if, and what if, and what if, you know, this is my standard, and, you know, if that's going on, just remember the rest of the story, right? It says, and he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? We can rest because ultimately at the end of the day, Jesus is in control. That you can rest. He's got this. You know, and I love the way the passage we're reading says that it says, uh, he gives sleep to those he loves. That he's not just in control, that, that he loves you. Do you believe that? that he loves us. I love the way it says it in the message. It says, uh, don't you know that he enjoys giving sleep to the, those that he loves? <laughs> so ask you a question. I love that. We can rest. Point number two is restless striving. It's not worth it. You can live your whole life doing it. I think when you look back, you'll have worried about a bunch of stuff that, that never happened. Let's keep moving though. Point number three is relationships are worth it. Finally, whole bunch of stuff that's not worth it so far from Solomon's life. He gets to relationships. He says, okay, these are worth it. Verse 3, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So there's a shift in the song. He moved from talking about things that are vain, and now he's using words like reward and heritage and gift. And it's, it's interesting. Is, you know, like I said, here's a guy. He's like the epitome of success. He's achieved so many things, chased after so many, so many things in his life. And then he looks back and he says, you know the thing that was actually worth it? When I think about it, it's the thing that wanted all my money and all my time and was making messes, right? And, and that's the thing that was worth it. It's kids, right? Isn't that crazy? He looks back on his life and he says, the thing that was worth it is children. And this was actually like really groundbreaking at this time. Kids in, in this culture, uh, the surrounding nations especially, had like no value. Oftentimes, they would actually sacrifice their children to, to these foreign gods. So Solomon saying the kids have incredible value was completely groundbreaking. And, you know, we hear about how the culture was back then, and we're like, man, praise the Lord, we've made progress. And, you know, that, that's true. But honestly, um, we're not that far off. We need to hear this song that, that children are a reward, right? We're not that far off. Think about it. Um, you know, we're not literally sacrificing kids to like these gods, but we hear about all these cases of abuse right here in our city, that many children are neglected by parents who choose work over time with their kids. Sometimes uh, people choose to, to end their pregnancies, and, and there's tons of kids in the, in the foster care system. Like, like, we're not that far off. We need to hear this song that, that children are a reward, that they're a gift, that, that I know that there are some things that look really valuable in life and look like, man, I, I need to go after that thing, right? But Solomon says, listen, when you're looking back in life, the thing that's going to be worth it, it's going to be children. And, and I'm not a parent yet, and I don't have any big announcements for you today, um, <laughs> but I did have parents, obviously. Um, and when I look back, you know, they just made a ton of sacrifices for me and my sisters. They gave of their time. They gave of their money. They spent so much, so much time with us. And I think if you were to ask them, like, hey, did you miss out from all the sacrifices that you did raising your kids? I think they would say, yes, we definitely missed out on, on some things. But 
I, I also would guess that, it, that they would say that it was worth it. At least I hope they would. I'm pretty sure they would say that at the end of the day, like the bond that we have as a family, these relationships that we've built, is worth so much more than the other stuff we could have been chasing after. Do you know that? Are you building your lives this morning on, on things that are just totally not going to be worth it, that look good in the moment? Are you building your lives on something that's actually valuable? And if you're here and, you know, you're like me and you're not a parent, um, this still applies to you, um, so just stay with me. Like, we can still invest in the next generation, right? We can still give of our time, give of our talents in these relationships. That's why I love being a part of a church like this, love organizations like The Nest, and we can help out, you know, in, with the youth group that we have and all of our life groups, like, investing in these relationships in the next generation, this stuff is going to be worthwhile, and I know we got degrees to pursue and all this different stuff, but at the end of the day, when you look back, man, these relationships are the thing that's going to be worth it. Um, I have a, a, a friend who um, works as a, a chaplain of, like, a hospital, and so he often, like, sees people on their deathbed, and he, he's told me this before that, you know, when he talks to these people that are about to die, he says, they never say, hey, bring me all my achievements bring me all my awards, bring me all my stuff, right? <laughs> they always say, bring me my family, bring me my friends, right? Because this is the stuff that's worth it. So, this is the, the song that Solomon's singing. He says, empty achievement, not worth it. Restless striving, not worth it. Relationships, totally worth it. <laughs> this is the song that he's singing as he looks back over all of his successes. Um, but as Christians, we can't stop there. Right, because we know that this is just one song in the whole Bible, and we got to understand everything in light of the gospel. Right, we got to watch the whole movie, and this is really good news for us because for many of us, you've been chasing after things that that maybe aren't going to be worth it in the long run, and and maybe others of us like you, you just you don't have healthy relationships right now. You don't have a good relationship with your parents, right? You don't, have all, like, you don't have it all together in your relationships. Does this mean that our lives are completely worthless, right? Does this mean, oh, well, we just need to go and, you know, have kids and then our lives will be worth something? And I want you to hear, absolutely not, <laughs> right? That at the end of the day, there's one relationship that all of us have access to that makes everything else in life completely worth it, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ, and, and no matter how empty, how worthless you might feel, no matter if you've spent all your time chasing after all this stuff, no matter if you've made tremendous uh, mistakes in your life and have made sacrifices that, that you regret, whatever the case may be, Jesus looks at you and he says, you are a, val a valuable uh, child to me. That Jesus desires a relationship with you and this is what makes it all worth it in the end. And I want to give you an example as I kind of wrap up. Um, I mentioned that all three of our pastors are, are out of town, and ordinarily uh, that wouldn't be the case. But this week, it was important for them to go and to be with John Draghi and, and his family. If you don't know, John is a, a pastor in our network of churches who was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And so, um, you know, pretty recently he... He's been struggling with it for a while, but kind of battling it. But pretty recently, he got the really hard news that he has weeks or maybe months to live. And so Brian, Matthew, and Matt all went out there just to be with him and to, to pray with him. And um, they're having this event. Um, 
and as heavy as that news sounds, this event that they're having, um, it's actually going to be like a celebration. I have a flyer for it. Yeah, this is John. Some of you probably recognize him from speaking here a couple times. He did our, um, our retreat this year. Um, but I was looking at this, and I was just kind of struck by the title, right? A Celebration of Jesus in the Life of John Draghi. And that struck me because this guy is like a picture of success. This guy is like a picture of living a life that, that was worthwhile. He's invested in all these relationships. He's a father. You know, he's a, he's a husband. He's a pastor of this amazing church. So he's had all this like relational success, stuff that's really valuable. But then he's also got this other stuff too. Like he actually completed more than one Ironman, which if you don't know an Ironman, you run a marathon and then you do other things after that. You bike and I don't even know what all you do because I'm clearly not an Ironman. But he, he did all of this stuff, Right? And you look at him and it's like he could have called this event like John Draghi, the Iron Man, John Draghi, you know, the, the father, John Draghi, the pastor. He could have called this so many things, but he chooses the title, a celebration of Jesus in the life of John Draghi. And I see that and I just go, man, that's, that's what success looks like right here. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this, that it's not about all our achievements in life. It's about the achievements of our Savior in us. And this is good news for us. Because it means that you don't have to go chasing after whatever it might be, right? Whatever the perfect picture of you know, success looks like on Instagram or whatever you have in mind that it means to, to be successful. You don't have to chase after that type of thing. You don't have to be this huge success. Actually, the opposite is true. Instead, it means that in order to have a successful life, you have to start by admitting that you've failed in one or more of, of these areas, that you've failed relationally, that you've made mistakes, that you've chased after all these different things. This is how it begins. And then the good news is that Jesus meets us right in that, right? He meets us in that, and not only is he ready to forgive us, but the, the, the news of the gospel is that he also gives us his righteousness, right? He says, you know, it looks like you need, you know, you don't have all that much success in your life. Let me just give you my uh, achievements on your behalf. This is the gospel. And then day by day, what we do is we just we stop chasing stuff. We stop striving, and we just rest. We rest in the life of Jesus. We rest in this life that he lived on our behalf. So the question for all of us that I want to leave you with is, is the stuff that you're chasing worth it? Are there things in your life right now that you're chasing after that, that's putting all this pressure that you're, you're, you're striving for right now that you, that you need to stop chasing, right? Is it worth it? Jesus says to all of us, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That he loves us, he desires a relationship with us, and we can enter into his rest uh, this morning. So I'm gonna wrap it up, I'm gonna pray, um, and then I'll explain what we're gonna do after that. So you pray with me. Lord, um, we're just grateful that we don't have to strive and strive and, and work um, to prove ourselves and to earn success. Father, thank you, um, Lord, that, that you've forgiven us. Lord, but not only that, that you, you've offered us your achievements on our behalf, the perfect life that you've lived, given to us freely. Lord, and it's, 
it's hard to, um, to strive after these different things, to think of all the failures that we've had in life. Lord, but we're just so grateful that you offer us yours on our behalf. Lord, would you help us to rest knowing how much you love us, rest knowing um, that you live the perfect life in our, our place. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. Amen.